on this episode of Thinking Well. We can get overly focused on God having to be an experience and our our walk with God having to be experiential. And if I'm not experiencing these things, do I still know how to just walk out the Christian faith? You have a river. You can't build up one side of the riverbank and expect it to still flow. You have to build up both sides. So I think that's something the Big C Church can really just maybe do better at, you know, just building up that basic understanding of doctrine and theology while still listening to the Holy Spirit and being able to move when he says to move. And if it is weird, you know, just let it be what it is. In Christian circles, the term charismatic can mean a lot of different things to different people. If you grew up in charismatic culture, things like miracles, speaking in tongues, and revival meetings were completely normal, and chances are you didn't have any reason to question any of it. If you weren't part of that culture, there's a good chance you saw and heard things in charismatic culture that give you reason to pause and be skeptical. In this episode of Thinking Well, we're celebrating and critiquing the movement we belong to with love, humility, and a desire for truth. Whether you consider yourself charismatic or not, there's a lot here to challenge us all. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Thinking Well. I'm Dan, joined by Rachel. Hi. Jordan. Hello. And Renee. Hey. All right, guys. Um, let's start out with something light. What's one thing that made you smile this week? Um, one thing for me, and that's actually kind of in the past couple of weeks, we've been doing this. We call it, or our kids call it, Rachel and mine kids call it family band so we'll play we got this little dinky guitar which got broken already after you jumped on it yeah so we'll play but we'll play worship songs together and the kids just love it and emery makes like drums out of everything and they just go crazy and it usually ends up in somebody crying because they have to take turns with stuff but it's still fun so yeah 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 that is really fun um i think my favorite part was I got the kids ABC mouse so that we can pretend to do school at least. And Emery was helping Audrey with her numbers. And he goes, yep, that's one. Good job, Audrey. So that was really nice to see that side of him. (laughs) I love that. I think for me, it was uh, Sunday morning. My husband was away at the men's retreat and it was driving back from his men's retreat. And I was just really missing him, like starting out church and he's not next to me. And he came up behind me and gave me this big hug. And it just was like so, so wonderful to me for him to be there when I was missing him. Oh, that's awesome. That's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have something a little bit goofy or weird. It was just a moment of realization. So the weather's been warming up here in Minnesota. And um, I remember thinking one Saturday, like, this is awesome. I'm just going to. I'm going to grill and smoke a lot of meat this spring and this summer. Like, it's so nice out. And, uh, and then later that day, you know, the snow is melting. And I, I remember thinking, you know what? I can't, can't wait to get on my ride on and just mow this yard. This is, this is going to be awesome. And then it hit me, like, 
I have become the quintessential <laughs> middle-aged <laughs> dad. Like, I'm looking forward to smoking me and like <laughs> mowing, mowing my lawn. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not making fun of anyone no. who does that. But just great, actually. I didn't I didn't realize like I thought that was not me and then all of a sudden it is me. There's like joy in that <laughs> yeah. now. Right. You need like white Reeboks. Yeah, yeah exactly. No yeah. new balances. Oh, yeah. new balances, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it is what it is. So, Okay, Rachel, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about charismatic culture. Um, And I'm really excited for this one, but can you tell me why you are excited for it, Renee? Wow, I am excited for it because I think it's really important that it's something that we examine um, as we kind of move forward into church history. I just think it's important. And I think it's also important for unity in the body of Christ that we have conversations around this, Um, whether you grew up in it or whether you're looking from the outside going, what is their deal? I just think that this conversation is so important. And I loved what you said about challenging. I think it's important to to be challenged as we look at some of the, the things that we've, you know, participated in in our experience with how we walk out Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because it's things that I've thought about in my head for a long time and I've wanted to talk about it, but because because I have questions about the movement we belong to. So just full disclosure to people who don't know the church we come from. We come from a charismatic culture and background. And um, me personally, there are some things I question and some things I want to just poke at a little bit, but it's like, it's hard to bring that up sometimes. So um, I'm glad that we're all willing to have this conversation and um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Jordan? So for me, I'm probably the newest person to like a charismatic culture here. Um, I grew up in a more evangelical, conservative uh, church. So for me, there's some things where I'm like, huh. And then there's some things where I'm like, oh, no, that's really good. And so um, hopefully I can bring some of that perspective today. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, I think you will. I think it'll be great. Um, I'm really excited for this because deconstruction has become a word in the last, what, five years? And Mm -hmm. I think... Out of that comes people's, they, they haven't been able to question what they grew up with. And so um, I think it is important, like you said, Renee, to, to be able to critique what we love and to be able to challenge some of the things that might not, they might be extra biblical. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I know we talked about our um, personal history with it a little bit in that intro, but I just want to go back to that um, growing up in charismatic culture. So Dan, can you share a little bit about what growing up in charismatic culture was like? Yes. So I did grow up in charismatic culture and I probably didn't even know what that was because that's all I knew. Yeah. Um, my, my dad, uh, was a pastor in a charismatic church. And, um, even after he was a pastor, he, he would travel around and, um, preach at different churches and just the meetings were charismatic. There were a lot of revival meetings. Um, so really that's, that's all I knew. Um, I think my personality type just 
even as a child, was like a little bit more reserved and conservative. So like I would see things um, and we'll get into a little bit about manifestations and different things you see in charismatic services and just be like a little bit, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it was, it was normal, but like definitely not something I participated in or sought out. <laughs> um, I think as I got older, um, I became exposed to other denominations just from being in a Christian school. And um, eventually, um, I can't remember when it was, 18 or 19, um, I left my parents' church just to become part of another church in the town that I was living in, um, basically where my friends were. <laughs> um, and so that's where I was exposed to like really my first church culture that wasn't charismatic. Mm -hmm. um, and then now, um, since we, since we had our first child, uh, my wife and I really felt like we wanted to kind of return to our roots of how we were brought up. Um, it's funny how, when you have a kid, you start evaluating stuff like that. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, Jordan, you mentioned that you didn't grow up in a charismatic church. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the, the the two main churches I grew up in, one was um, kind of an offshoot of the Lutheran church, and then one was uh, a covenant church. So really in their the really similar doctrine between the two. Um, but I think for me, coming to a charismatic church, I probably realized that um, those churches I grew up in kind of really emphasized God the Father and Jesus as his son, but not maybe as much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. So I think for me, that's kind of the biggest thing that sticks out now is is really, because it's, it's the Trinity, you know, they're all equal, and but I, I don't know if it was, maybe in my mind it wasn't taught that way, maybe it was actually, and I just totally missed the boat, which I'm not surprised if I did. <laughs> but um, I think that's kind of the, just like a really quick look at it, at, what my experience has been, it's, it's, it's really a lot more valuing the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does in you. And so I think that's really interesting coming from that different background. And so, but I'm still learning about it too. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, was it your first intro to charismatic culture when you came here with me, when we started dating? Yeah. But I mean, a little bit with the, this youth, youth alive, um, conferences that I grew up going to, we're a little more leaning towards that way. And so, right. um, and then a, a church that we were really close with in, in town was a little more charismatic, probably a little more Pentecostal, but I don't know. Um, so I, I had some experience with that as well too. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean the, the regular week, every week experience was definitely, you know, when I was probably 24, 25, coming to our church here at Living Waters. Yeah. 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 I remember him looking at me like during some of the services, like what in the world did you get me into? <laughs> I, probably. I'd probably been, <laughs> I like to think I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally normal. And inside I'm like, <laughs> but I, I like to think cool I had a, a poker face, but I'm sure I didn't. So. And to add on to that, I had gone to Bethel. And out in Reading. Out in Reading, and we had been dating. Um, we dated a week before I left for Bethel, 
And so I came back and I was like, I was pumped up and like crazy charismatic and like everybody needs to get healing. And, and he was like, God bless him. He he kept us cool and still asked me to marry him. So <laughs> I, I hope I didn't suppress anything, but I was still I think for me still is really processing it with mm-hmm. her, but I was processing it internally. Yeah. And then at kind of a super high rate of speed, because I kind of felt like we were going to get married. So I was like, OK, I, I probably need to figure out something here. Like, am I in <laughs> for this? Exactly. exactly. And, so, and I am yeah. not an internal processor. Right. I am very much an external processor. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I was were, like, you were out at Bethel for how many years? Just, just one. Just I just one. went for the first year. And then I was still, like, I'm marrying this guy. So it's still pretty like intense. Everything super intense. And the first year is definitely less training, more immersive, sure. <laughs> you know, just yeah. get in the culture, learn how to, um, share your faith and everything. And so it was very, um, it, it was very much in a bubble. I appreciate going to Bethel so much, but it was very much in a bubble. And so, um, coming back and thinking that you're going to change everything, especially within the church was yeah. a culture shock. It's like, I sure. think it's kind of like charismatic boot camp, you know, yeah. a, a school of supernatural ministry. It's right. It's, it's a greenhouse of, you know, um, so yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting thing to bring back to Jordan. Right. <laughs> and I grew up, I grew up in the church. I grew up in this church. Yeah. And so I had always been exposed to it, but around like 16 or 17, God just really, really encountered me and changed my life. Um, and so that was like pressing the gas on on my experience within the charismatic culture and everything. So um, I'd been in it my whole life, but I hadn't really experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that was the beginning of that, going to going to Bethel. So how about you, Renee? What did uh, you grow up with? Yeah, so um, my mom and dad got radically saved when I was young. And, um, and so I have some memories of kind of the before and after of that, very, very few, but some um, of that, but they, they, um, got saved into, or came to the knowledge of the Lord in, into a pretty charismatic, um, environment. And so, you know, honestly, one of my earliest memories that is so real to me is, um, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, getting baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues when I was five. And I mean, it's probably one of the earliest memories that I have. Yeah. And um, I remember even at five, I remember the the teacher in the class, we were at at camp, at family camp, and I was in the kids' service. And the teacher was talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about what happened in Acts and what it is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as a five-year-old, I remember sitting there going, I want that. I want that. There was something on the inside of me that was like waiting for her to invite us up for prayer. And um, it's just an interesting memory to me because at that time, there was nobody... That wasn't a pressure in my life. It wasn't like mm. that was all, like I was filled with the Spirit the same time my parents were filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. kind of. So it wasn't like that was a pressure. Um, but just even knowing, like ever since that point, just knowing this interaction with the Lord and, mm-hmm. you know, that that was, that was the birthplace of that. And then um, over time, my dad uh, became a pastor, um, became a leader with a church that had been a Lutheran church that that actually was had a, a Holy Spirit experience and ended up becoming a non-denominational church and um, planted this church that we're at here. 
And I remember when I was about uh, 16, um, we, I was gone for three months on a mission trip for the summer, and I came home, and our church was in revival, quote-unquote. And um, so we had already had, like, speaking in tongues and people praying um, and, and being slain in the Spirit, which is just where people are, you know, overcome with the Holy Spirit, and they may fall back, and we can discuss <laughs> the validity of all of that, but yeah. um, you know, whatever that was kind of common. But this was like doubling down on mm. the charismatic movement yeah. when I came home, and I remember sitting in the back row of this meeting where people are weeping, kind of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. They were weeping and and laughing and rolling and just you know being touched by God. And I had my arms crossed and I was so mad. And I'm looking at my dad leading this meeting and going, my dad started a cult. (laughs) My dad started a cult while I was gone. (laughs) And why are the other leaders going along with this? You know, I was, I was in all of my 16 year old wisdom. And yet as I'm sitting there angry and like, I cannot believe I am not in for this. I don't understand what's happening. Tears are streaming down my face. And I realize like something is touching me on the inside because I'm beginning to see people. I'm seeing um, guys that I grew up with that had walked away from the Lord are laying on the floor being touched by God. Mm-hmm. And, and like they're in church, like the drug addict friend who, you know, whatever, yeah. here he is. And, and the homeless guy that used to walk around our city is in the room and he's being touched by God. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, like a decision got made, like, I don't know what's going on here, but I saw the fruit of it and I mm-hmm. saw the fruit in my parents' life. And so that's been kind of my experience of, of, you know, being charismatic and then even more charismatic, of, you know, and, and having to kind of decide, am I in for this? And I think, I think we go through those decision points throughout, yeah. you know, over time. So you said in your, um, when when you said revival, you said quote unquote. What did you mean by that? I think I think that we can use that term pretty loosely. Yeah. Like I I think that you know, or or that we need to understand that everybody defines that term differently. You know, um, I believe like even the Covenant Church had revival week you know, or whatever. So they would have times and that's where everybody went to camp and there was tent meetings and whatever, but, but it maybe was different than what we would deem revival. So I think that's why I put it in quotes is because I think it means something different to everybody. I Mm. also think that we do kind of throw it around kind of cavalier that, you know, um, even when we talk about, can we live a revival lifestyle? Well, what does that look like? Right. Does it look like we have to have those manifestations going on all the time? Yeah. Um, or is there reality that there are moves of God that bring a refreshing, that bring a, bring a revival to us, that bring life back into the church, you know, and, and that he's kind of in control of that. Yeah. You know, and the reality is when revival comes, something else dies and are we ready to let go right. of that something that's ready to go away? Right. Mm-hmm. And so. I, I just want to clarify that season. I, I don't put it in quotes cause I don't believe it was revival. Mm-hmm. I do believe that season was revival. Yeah. I just, I just don't think that we always use that word appropriately. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about kind of in our intro to 
um, our experience in the charismatic culture and growing up in it. We talked about our first experience or our first impression of what it was like. I'm curious, what is everybody's impression now? <laughs> My first impression, uh, so I, I'm, I'll give him first impression, impression now maybe, because my first impression is fairly recently, you know, within the last <laughs> 10 years-ish. So yeah. my first impression was, why are the services so long? That's like, true. Like I wow. grew up in, <laughs> in every service was an hour. You know, yeah. if you had like a guest speaker, if you went like five minutes over, everyone was like, my gosh, the pot roast is going to be burnt. Sunday's going to be ruined, you know? And it's not. There's, and football. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. So that was one of my first Im- impressions when I was like, oh, I probably asked Rachel. I was like, oh, what time is church? She's like, 930. I'm like, okay, so we'll be done at 1030. She's like, no, like 1130. I was like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is funny because, I mean, we can get into something like that later. Um, and then, too, probably another impression I had was, with the worship is like, man, we've been singing this song for a good 10, 11 minutes now. <laughs> I think I got it down, but wow, we've really, we've really gone through this course a couple of times. That's interesting because yeah. a lot of times growing up, not necessarily good or bad. It's just like you'd, you either did a, maybe a hymn or two, or we had a contemporary service at some point where we did a couple worship songs and, you know, it was, first chorus, yeah, first chorus really bridge. bridge. If we're really feeling it, we'll hit the bridge again later, but yeah, man, yeah. things better be moving at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then my impression now is probably not much different. It's just that I'm used to it maybe, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but it's, I mean, it's still, I, I see the, the merit in it all and I see the value in it all and I'm we're raising our kids in it. And I, th- I think that's best for our kids and best for our family ultimately. So it's, I still get the things where it's like, you know, we have revival meetings or whatever prophetic meetings, like you well plan on being there for like three hours. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so just on the practical side though, for me, cause I'm, I very much think in terms of time and whatnot. And so it, for me, it's like very stretching still in that I'm getting used to it, I think, but it's interesting. After a couple of years, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it's been quite a few, so, yeah. Uh, how about you, Renee? What is what is your impression now? My imp- Be careful. You're yes, the pastor. I know, right? <laughs> um, my impression now, uh, I really think, like like I shared, I, I have to value uh, the fruit that's come out of our, our experience with the sort of charismatic movement. And, and I think that every time I challenge some of the things in that, some of the ways of being, some of the assumptions, um, some of the practices, every time I challenge that, I still always come away with, and yet I would never want to not allow the Holy Spirit freedom mm-hmm. to do what he's going to do and allow people freedom to respond to the Holy Spirit in the way that that they're feeling led to respond. And so, you know, for that piece, that's like a, that's a, a safeguard for me. Even as I challenge some of those things, um, I think that when I'm, when I have a negative impression on some of the activities of a charismatic service, a lot of times it's because I am judging motives. Mm-hmm. I'm judging heart attitude. I'm judging real or not, you know, whatever. And I think there is an aspect of testing the spirit in the sense of, you know, looking at what, what is the fruit of that. So, so I just want to, you know, that's part of it for me. But I think the other thing is, um, 
I think when the church goes through any kind of revelation, season of revelation, where things are revealed to us, where God moves in a particular way, it's really dangerous when we camp out there. Mm-hmm. no matter what it is, even if it's revival, even yeah. if it's, you know, um, manifestations and freedom in those manifestations and how we worship and whatever. And I don't mean like it's dangerous to camp out on a song, Jordan, but, <laughs> right. but like it's dangerous when we camp out and, and decide. And, and it, then that can become a type of legalism. Yeah, that absolutely. can become a type of like, this is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit moves. And um, so for me, I feel like... Um, I still carry on that aspect of we value the voice of the Holy Spirit and signs, wonders, miracles. We value even speaking in tongues, and we can talk about that more later, you know, whatever. Um, And that, I believe, will be something we take into the future with us. But I think we need to be open to what what's God doing next and what does that look like and not look for it to only look how it looked in the past. Yeah, in the 90s. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Dan? What What are your impressions now with charismatic culture? Uh, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> well, I'll start out by saying I'm still part of a charismatic community, and that's not by accident or just because I couldn't find a better church. Like, <laughs> ultimately, I'm still here because I believe... Um, in the work of the Holy Spirit actively in our lives. But I would say just stepping back from that a little bit, um, maybe, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but I definitely have a filter up. So I grew up in this and I just accepted things. Um, but maybe, you know, five or 10 years ago, I started um, to just, maybe it was just that I started reading a lot and not, not reading things to like um, disprove charismatic culture or anything like that. I just like opened my mind up to to different things. I, re- I really got into theology actually. And I think the first thing I noticed where there was a little bit of rub is that in charismatic culture, sometimes we can kind of um, downplay the head and intellectualism a little bit. Like I've been in meetings where the term intellectual is used like as a, as a slam. Right. (laughs) Right. So like, it's almost like, man, if you're, if you're bringing your head and your mind into this, then like, you just need to let that go. Like Mm -hmm. get your head out of the way and just, just open up your heart. And I, I get it a little bit, but I really believe like, you know, God created us with minds and like, he wants us to be wise and like, he actually wants to minister to that part of our, body like he created us with brains and yeah exactly a a thought process so um I think yeah I think now like I I just I question things it doesn't mean like I'm like sitting in a meeting with my arms folded like what's going on but um in the past where you know people from other streams would have maybe um raise some questions or caution to some things and I would have just written it off. Now I'm like, okay, I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, and maybe we'll get into some of that stuff later, but mm-hmm. just yeah. big picture. Um, yeah. Cause, and, it, and it's not just me, I have kids now. And so I want to be careful, you know, 
what I'm imparting to them and what they're growing up in. At the end of the day, I just want what's real, right? It's not even like my preference or personality. If God wants to move in weird ways, I'm going to get over that because he's God and I've submitted my life to him. But like, I just want what's real. And I realize in, in a culture, in any culture, I know we're talking about charismatic culture, but in culture, things and patterns of behavior can emerge that are just, um, their own product. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you said theology, kind of changed your mind on it or made you question some things. I can totally relate to that because I started getting into it, um, theology, like four, three or four years ago. I can't even remember now. And it it didn't make me like bitter or anything against charismatic culture, but I was just like, oh, oh, that doesn't quite line up. And so um, just... And, and I think, too, like in charismatic culture, we can tend to think of theology and Holy Spirit as opposing. Right. right. And But mm. theology is the study of God and his character. And so they're never going to oppose each other. Right. Yeah. And they shouldn't oppose each other. So if something is happening in a service that is clearly not from the Bible, we should we should be able to stand up and be like, wait a second, this isn't right, you know. Or, or try to correct it in some way. So I think that's something that I feel like the background I grew up in, the evangelical church, probably has more of an emphasis on with maybe the confirmation classes or whatnot, yeah. but building up that basic theology, that basic doctrine. And, and, and it's funny, though, because, I mean, so I grew up Lutheran in a covenant church, and so basically kind of starting at where Martin Luther kind of started to branch off, kind of understanding why. Right. Yeah. He wanted to branch off from, you know, the Catholic Church and whatnot. So I and I think, too, there's – Rachel, I know your dad makes this analogy all the time. You know, you, you have a river. Yeah. You can't build up one side of the riverbank and expect it to still flow. You have to build up both sides. So I think that's something as a whole the big C church can really just maybe do better at, you know, just building up that basic understanding of doctrine and theology while still – listening to the Holy Spirit yeah. and being able to, you know, move when he says to move and, and, and not feel out of place or if it is weird, you know, just let it be what it is, but kind of building up the riverbank so it flows and it's not unequal. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it is so good to have these discussions, you know, because as we're looking forward, um, we we do need to be honest about the fact that one of our riverbanks has not been built up as much as the other in the in the charismatic church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the things I have a real passion for is how do how do we keep the preciousness of of allowing the Holy Spirit freedom, valuing those things, but recognizing that maybe we have put so much more emphasis on uh, that over those kind of core doctrines, right. it's caused separation from the church in a, mm-hmm. in a large way. And so I think part of kind of answering the prayer of Jesus for unity in the body of Christ is all of us in our different denominations um, giving space to build up both of those riverbanks. I really like how you put that because it's, mm. then it's not, it's not saying you're, wrong for the direction you went. It's more, although that's possible at times, but it's more saying now it's just time to 
kind of bring this balance to the emphasis. So wouldn't it be great if we could have both of these things, right. Right. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like growing up in charismatic culture and going to Bethel and everything, like it's really honed my ability to hear Holy Spirit and um, to be able to discern things. And I'm really, really thankful for that because that has come in really handy in our life. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, in any Christian life. And now like building up the theology, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, I, I always thought that theology would make me love God less for some reason, but it's only shown his character more and it's made me love him more because mm. what we think he is, like what he actually is, is so much better than what we think he is. Right. You know, yeah. and theology can show that studying his character. Right. Right. I think one thing too that's interesting about that is that again, growing up in the charismatic church, I I didn't have there wasn't that emphasis on really knowing how to study the word, how to mm-hmm. to it was, you know, definitely emphasis on knowing how to discern the Holy Spirit and move in the things of the Holy Spirit and whatever. Yeah. Um and yet, like I would have to say that my parents and those those people of that that age, they came from a really strong Bible background. Right. So my dad, you know, even when he, when he first came to the Lord, even though he was in a charismatic church, really the primary way that the Holy Spirit moved in his life initially was a hunger for the word. And so I remember him just, you know, concordance out, typewriter, Bibles, you know, Mm. whatever. And I just remember him devouring the word and, and just being in the word. And, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, they already had that background when they came into the charismatic movement, you know, the generation before us, a lot of them did. We were born into this movement or grew up in this movement. And then, you know, it's kind of like, we need to get that other, that other piece, you know, and, and we need to make space for that Mm -hmm. in the charismatic church. Yeah, absolutely. Just emphasizing that we we love this culture that we're a part of, and we're not um, trying to be um, super super negative about it. But um, just like we talked about, it's important to critique the things that you love. And so, what do you guys think are some positives and negatives of this culture? We've talked about them a little bit, but um, do you have anything specific? I think one thing I've seen as um, Rachel and I are raising our family is I feel like it's in our, in our church, we've been able to kind of teach them really more so the love of God and not the old Testament stuff where it's like, Oh man, he brought down fire on these people. Oh man, he turned these people to salt. You know, it's, that's, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's room for that, but everything's the salt is really cool. Well, so, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I get it, but it's like for me, you know, in Sunday school as four or five, six-year-old Jordan, those are the stories that really come to the forefront of my mind when I think about like Sunday school and the kind of that foundational stuff. And so at some, I think at, at points I was like, okay, I should be maybe a little afraid of God, 
which there there is a you know it's good to have a, a fear of of God, but it's you know I think more so I missed just the love that is overwhelming instead of that that fear. So I think that's one thing. Um, I feel like now teaching our kids, it's a really good um, place to teach them that just the love of God. Yeah, yeah, and I think even just that relational mm-hmm. connection to me, my my connection to Christianity was entirely relational because it was through, you know, being knowing the presence of God in my life and being able to hear God and, you know, that those were the things I was trained in from a, a young age. And so when I came into certain teenage years and I began questioning the doctrine or the theology or the truth of the Bible or, you know, really seriously a flood and all the animals fit in the ark or, you know, when I was questioning those things, even when I went, I think this is all bogus. Cause I had that time where I just go, this can't even be real. And yet, because I had this relationship, I had experienced God. Mm. I had, it would, it would have been like walking away from my best friend. Mm-hmm. It would have been like walking away from the most important person in my life. And so I remember being in this period of time where I was like, I don't think I believe in you, but I know you're here. Yeah. It, you know, and and so I think that's a benefit of of a movement that allows us to experience God um and to let our our expression of of Christianity come from that experiential place. Yeah. There's a negative to that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and part of that then is that we can get um, m- overly focused on God having to be an experience, right. and and our our walk with God having to be experiential. And if I'm not experiencing these things, do I still know how to just walk out the Christian faith in and and to do what's right based on what the Bible's telling me or, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think there's always the the good and the bad of that, you know, um, mm-hmm. that we, we have a lot of people that are really led by their experiences alone. And that's where you run into some of the dangers of getting off of just core Christian doctrine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and when people are, you know, it's hard, sometimes then it becomes hard to tell the difference between what Holy Spirit is telling you to do and your emotions when you are driven by experiences. And when you're emotionally driven, you are going to sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, one thing I have really mixed emotions about is the prophetic. And I don't know, it's it's weird, okay? Because in one sense, like in our local church culture, I think we've had like a really healthy expression of that. And then in another sense, um, in charismatic culture, we have like a, like a national prophetic movement too. Yeah. And um, I'm not just critiquing what's happening right now. I, th- I think back to when I was a kid, like I remember growing up and hearing about Jesus is going to return soon because mm-hmm. these things have played out in the world. And the prophetic voices of the day are saying. And it's not just like, I realize it's just a few voices, but like, let's not kid ourselves. People like really listen and um, give authority to these voices. I remember my my grandparents would like tune in and watch these guys. And I would watch it as a kid and get a little bit scared um, just because I didn't know how to discern things. Yeah. You know, I'd hear things about California falling into the ocean. (laughs) 
Um, you know, more recently, like, uh, I don't know if we don't have to get into this, but like, obviously there was a big thing around the election and people saying this outcome is going to happen. And then when it didn't, it's like, no, just wait in a few months, this is going to happen. And then it didn't. And it's like, I believe in the prophetic, but you're just asking me to trust you. And and when you get it wrong, you, you have some excuse or there's some reason why it played out the way it did. And I just, I feel conflicted about that because these people have a voice and they have authority because they have influence. And again, on on a local level, I've I've had a really positive experience with the prophetic, but just balancing those two up and, and knowing that our culture isn't just shaped by the prophetic that happens on a Sunday morning or within our four walls. There are voices that we don't really have control over, but still speak into our culture. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't. I don't know how to make sense of that. What right. should we do with those prophets that were wrong? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Old Testament I'm just style. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too. That's why it is important to to have the the word of God be the foundation for even how yeah. we interact with those prophetic voices. And one thing that's been really confounding to me, especially in this more recent season, is to a large degree, having national prophetic voices is much more of an Old Testament concept than a New Testament concept. Right. Absolutely. And and so I'm not sure why the charismatic church at large has embraced that to the degree that they have, um, because, because we really see a change in how the New Testament deals with prophecy and and the prophet kind of you know mm. it was very common before all men could be filled with the holy spirit in the old testament they couldn't and so there were certain people that had the the voice of the lord as a prophetic voice to the nation or you know into world events or whatever and i just i don't think that we see the same emphasis on that in our new testament experience with the prophetic so i'm not sure why there there is that that level of influence. I mm. think it's important again that it's we recognize it's about what we give the most value to. And if we decide that these people that we have no relationship with, yeah, that you know, that that voice has so much value, I think our our desire is to see people hear from the Lord for themselves because that's really yeah. the reality. What is the Lord telling you? about what you should be doing in this time and um, and to make that that experience much more influential in your life than this other voice. Yeah. And yeah. in the Old Testament too, wasn't prophecy, it was more foretelling events, but today it's for encouragement and building up more so. Right. Yeah. The New Testament talks about kind of the purpose of prophecy now. Again, the, the big change is that that what Jesus did allowed for the Spirit of God to really be in all people. Right. And so that shifted the the role of prophecy. So yeah, it's for exhortation and encouragement. And yeah. you know, it's a different it's a yeah. different And yet a lot of the big voices in, in the national arena aren't doing that. They're foretelling events. Right. For sure. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the reason I just bring it up again is um just just for people listening, I know you could have a, a really healthy prophetic culture within your own church, but we live in a world now where 
Sundays are not the only place we're discipled, and I could argue maybe they're not the most predominant way we're yeah. discipled because we're you know we're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, and so we're feeding ourselves with a whole bunch of different streams. Yeah, some of it's good, some of it's not so good, and some of it's be, you know because it's just on Instagram or we hear something, uh, we get get an email of a prophetic word that someone gave out. We we might not. Um, test that as much as we would in a in a church setting right because oh it's just an email i got from so and so (laughs) so but just be aware of that is is what i'm trying to get at yeah yep absolutely and i think the things that we hear every day we don't even realize how much they're impacting Mm. our thoughts or anything until we're like wait, when did that change in my mind or where does it say this in the bible and we realize oh like i've been hearing this in my social media feed for the last five months and I haven't even questioned it because mm. you, you're just scrolling and then suddenly you realize how much you're changing your life to fit that one word or something. Right. At least for me personally, that's right. happened. I feel like there's, there's just so many things I just want to talk about even if it's not on the podcast. Yeah. Like the whole numerology thing. Like how year much numbers seven play? or two, oh two, two. Oh my two gosh, or, yes. Like I'm not saying... I'm opposed to that. I just, I don't know how to make sense of it. I don't know how the Bible teaches that stuff. I know in the Bible, like itself, numbers have significance, but when someone says like, right. 45 means. Yeah. yeah. Um, I say, uh, yeah, it's like, why? and then we do this one. Like, yeah. 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 No, I hear you. Well, I, yeah. Okay. Well, so like looking at, so the way the Bible's laid out, you know, people say, oh, in this, you know, 23, you look at the 23rd Psalm, the 23rd verse, I'm just throwing out numbers, but then you go to this, it's like, it was never laid out with these numbers in mind. You know, if it is, it's right. I guess I I do, I do recognize like the significance of like seven and 12, like those themes come up even before the Bible is chaptered and versed. Like you have those numbers that come up. Right. But I mean, there was a guy at the conference. I'm not yes. saying he's wrong, but I just. I'll say he's wrong. <laughs> I'm just well, he was saying like th- this number means this, like, and it was beyond just like what it symbolized in the Bible. Right. It was just like, why, why does it mean that? Did right. you just yeah. Where does that come that? from? It's like, I've yeah. never, yeah. all of that. It's yeah. like, maybe I don't dig into it enough, but I'm like, I've never heard of that before. Right. Well, or I've even thought about that with dream interpretation Yeah. where they go, here's the dream interpretation guide right, and right. purple means this and this yeah. means this and this means this. And, and I go, okay, well, where did, where did we get that establish or where that. did we establish that yeah. as the official, you know, um, guide right. of, and yet there's there's a reality, you know, I think we need to to be mindful that the Holy Spirit was constantly surprising people in the Bible by showing up with um with different signs and different wonders and different ways of interacting with mankind and different ways of speaking to mankind and the Holy Spirit hasn't stopped doing that just because the Bible stopped being written. Right. Mm. And so it's that it's that tension of, well, where is that in the Bible? Yeah. And yet recognizing that the the Holy Spirit is still taking us from glory to glory. It says, you know, we go from glory to glory. The Holy Spirit is still speaking. And just because the Bible that we have, which I believe is the Bible we're meant to have, 
um, is no longer being written doesn't mean that he's not continuing to do what he was doing there, which was choosing all kinds of unique ways to interact with people and to to draw them into um, the pursuit of God, which I think is a bigger piece of it to me, is that if our pursuit becomes about the numerology or our pursuit becomes about dream interpretation and, right. and it's that my pursuit is knowing more about these signs and wonders or these expressions of the Holy Spirit than it is about the God that's trying to get our attention or trying to interact with us. That's, that is where we're, we get into trouble. Yeah. I've told Jordan this. I see 1111 and 111 everywhere, every day. Like not just on my phone cause I'm on my phone a lot, but like <laughs> just everywhere. And it's annoying. I'm like, God, just say what you want to say. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't right. need numbers. Don't just, talk to me that yeah. way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like, I'm hesitant too to just be like looking online. What box. does this prophet right. say? Eleven Eleven means because like, on on what authority are you saying that's what it means? So exactly. what if what if instead of looking online, you you do what it is he's hoping you'll do, which is go, oh, there it is again. Lord, what do you want to show me? About, you you know what I mean? Like, I think that's part of the issue is that we, like the Holy Spirit is trying to draw us into communication with God and we've decided to write 500 books about, you know, and I'm going to go look this up. I'm going to go Google this. I'm going to go, you know, whatever. And it really should draw us into like the pursuit of, oh, that's interesting. What are you showing me in that? And, and, and that dialogue with him. Yeah. You should see my journal. There's a lot of, uh. (laughs) Not <laughs> angry though. Like, what? Why? <laughs> Again? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's one of the negatives of charismatic culture is we can't decide what's for ourselves, or we can't discern what's for ourselves and what's for corporate. Yeah. You know, like we have a word from God during church and we run up to the mic and we tell everybody, but maybe he just meant it for us. You yeah. know? I think. I think that's one of the negatives is we lack boundaries. We don't know. Um, we just assume everything is for the corporate setting. Right. And then people take that and run with it and then are disappointed when they didn't receive the promise that God promised them, but it wasn't the promise. It wasn't for it them. It wasn't for them. Yeah. It was for somebody else. Yeah. I think that's a really good point or or that that, yeah, everything that God shows me is also for somebody else or what he's telling me to do is what everyone else has to do. Right. And and I think that there is that aspect of of we just don't continue the conversation that God has started with us. Right. You know, so he he's initiating something and rather than come back to him and go what do you want me to do with this or what it, you know. Yeah. And and so I think we do need to be mindful of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one other thing I'm aware of as someone in the charismatic circle is that sometimes we can have maybe a little bit of an arrogance that we have the corner of the market on the Holy Spirit. And I remember growing up um, just asking, you know, different leaders and I'm not going to assign this answer to one person, but the general feeling was that like when I asked like, why, why do we do this and why do other churches don't and that, answer I kind of got in a nutshell was like, well, they're, they're Christians, they're, they're saved, but we're operating in the fifth gear and they, yeah. you know, they're only up to fourth gear. And, um, 
I get I get where they were coming from, but like looking back on that, it was it was a little bit arrogant. And I think also I think well maybe maybe some of our first and second gears are a little bit shaky <laughs> or not not working right. And I just the older I get, the more aware I am of the richness in the different streams of the body of Christ and how much we can learn from that. And um, yeah, I don't ever want to think that just because we call ourselves charismatic that we have the Holy Spirit figured out. In fact, I've I've heard and read a lot of people from different streams that I would consider pretty conservative have actually had profound experiences with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It just maybe doesn't look like that in their corporate gatherings, but that doesn't mean they're not having real encounters with the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right, and I think that we sometimes forget that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to to transform us from the inside out to you mm-hmm. know that's the primary work of the Holy Spirit and yet we don't put as much value on that another primary work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the word to us and to speak to us through God's word and to remind us of what Jesus said and and so I think that that's really true that we can sometimes look at other more denominational churches more traditional churches and say they don't, you know, how we would determine a charismatic church to be spirit-filled. Well, I've stopped saying that because I, I've been to other churches who don't operate the same way that we do, but they're absolutely spirit-filled. You can't walk the Christian life without having the Holy Spirit leading you. You can't walk the Christian life and and be um, sanctified and made more like Jesus without the work of the Holy mm. Spirit. You can't even come to the knowledge of Christ without the Holy Spirit being involved in, in that process. And so I would agree, we've narrowed the work of the Holy Spirit to these few very um, demonstrative ways of being. Right. right. Yeah, the manifestations, like, that's what I thought the primary work of the Holy Spirit was, was manifestations, you know? Right. And And as I've continued in my walk with God and it's changed and everything, it's, he reveals so much more than just that. And even more so, I would say. Right. Yeah. Can we maybe talk about speaking in tongues for a minute? (laughs) Because I know there's, (laughs) uh, when people hear the term charismatic or Pentecostal, like their minds will rush straight to that because that's a very visible and somewhat divisive issue in in the larger Christian community. So... um, Why is it divisive? Well... There's a lot of reasons, and we could probably do a whole episode yeah. on, on tongues. <laughs> I don't want to like do a big teaching on that, but I, I guess I want to start out and just say, at least in this church, like that is not like I don't feel like it's an emphasis. Like we don't like run around speaking in tongues right. the whole service, or like it's not a center point. Yeah, of, right. Yeah, and um, I think we all actually have different experiences with that I'd just be curious to hear yeah I just remember growing up and my mom and dad telling me it's just another prayer language and whenever like we drove past accidents or whatever like my mom just started speaking in tongues and um I do it when I just don't know what else to pray Mm. you know um and I and the bible I mean the bible has a lot to say about it too so so I've I've never 
spoken, spaken, speaking. <laughs> what, what, what form am I supposed to use here? <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak in tongues. <sighs> oh my goodness. Sorry, guys. All the air just went we're, out we're of gonna, yeah. here. We're going to just go off the air for a minute to right. take care of that. <laughs> and we're back. I speak in tongues all the time, guys. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> just kidding. So um, I guess, does that make me not a good Christian? Not a good charismatic. Not a good charismatic Christian. Sorry, I missed the first one. But for me, I I guess, and maybe this is just, I don't, I've never rebelled. I wasn't a rebel, but whatever, when, whenever I, when I feel like if there's like a call like, okay, everyone needs to pray in tongues now, it's like, I don't feel like I need to. Yeah. It's like, I can, you know, I, I feel like I have... And maybe this is me being really just baby charismatic Christian, but I don't know. But it's like I it's almost like, well, if you're forcing me to do something, I don't know if that's if that's the best thing for my walk. Right. And so to me, that's just interesting. Um, I feel like I've have other gifts of the spirit and whatnot, but maybe tongues isn't one of them. Well, it is a gift of the spirit. Right. So it's something that's given. It's not something that is like a fruit of the spirit that every Christian should have within them. Mm. Right. Right. And I think that is, you know, when and the, the spectrum of the charismatic experience, you have more the Pentecostal side that would say, if you're filled with the spirit, you have to speak in tongues as the evidence of that. And I think we would fall in the camp that doesn't believe that it is the primary evidence of being filled with the spirit or being baptized in the spirit or however you would want to put that, um, you know, I think even as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, I think that we all can have access to all the gifts, but that it really comes by the Holy Spirit. And so I don't know that I would say like, well, the Holy Spirit withholds tongues from some people and gives it to others. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it does tell us to desire spiritual gifts, you know, but I don't think that means that we all have to operate in those spiritual gifts. Yeah. You know? I mean, like occasionally I'll prophesy over somebody or be prophetic, mm-hmm. but it's not like one of my main giftings, whereas somebody who is like constantly like maybe has a larger portion of that gift. Is that biblical? Right. I don't or, know. Or just practices it more or right. desires, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up um, in a church where it was taught like when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit that tongues will just follow. And I guess when I got prayer for that when I was a teenager, I don't know, some sounds came out of my mouth, but I can't say for sure that (laughs) I wasn't just trying to make that happen. Like I remember being taught that um, tongues is kind of like a, like a tissue box or a Kleenex box where you're just going to get the first one out and then the next one will appear and you just got to keep pulling and it'll just come out of you. And I don't know that, Maybe it was just my personality, but that never was my experience. And also, I maybe just as an aside, I just want to say it is it is weird, right? <laughs> yes, we all will agree yeah. it is weird. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though I I've grown up in this, just the idea that you're just speaking this strange language. That I mean, right. there there is a part of me too. I I get a little uncomfortable. Just when it's happening in a corporate setting, and I, I'm looking around at the new people, like, 
how are you yeah. interpreting are you, this? Are you okay? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. there are guidelines for it too, though. Yeah. You know, if it's done in the corporate setting, then there should be an interpretation for it. Yeah, I would say that we look at that, meaning if there's a group of people and they're praying and some are praying in tongues, they're not at the mic giving, right. a, word giving a word in right. tongues. Yes. You know, obviously that doesn't yeah. need an interpretation because that's between God and, and them. Yeah. But yeah, there are, the Bible speaks to this issue. It, it to some degree, expects that there will be tongues yeah, right. in, in our gatherings, you yeah. know. And, and I think to some degree, when we say, why is it divisive in the body? It's probably that issue. It's divisive because kind of the dividing line is, People that believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today versus people that believed it was for that time at the establishment of the church. And that's probably what makes tongues more divisive, is yeah. it's the mm-hmm. mark of you know, that particular dividing point of, of doctrine. Yeah, great. I, w- I just want to go back and just say more recently, my experience with tongues has been that when I'm praying... And I, I feel like I'm at the end of myself and I don't have anything to say. I do feel something kind of well up within me and it will just come out. I wouldn't want to say like it's involuntary, like I just can't control yeah, it. It's and like I, a yielding that has yeah. to happen kind so of. like cover yeah. your mouth. But I've been, you know, sometimes like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried wearing a mask and it still yeah, comes out. Still came out. Oh, man. See? <laughs> See? Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, there's just been times where I've been walking, you know, walking down my driveway praying, and then I don't know what else to pray, and something else will come up, and then it will lead me to pray something else in English. And I can't explain that, but I know it's real. Yeah. So did you did you pray in tongues growing up, Rachel? Are you asking for the story? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I grew up in a household of tongue prayers. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, That's weird. It's a weird way of putting it, I think. <laughs> um, praying in tongues. Yeah, okay. And um, I think it was about five years old. I don't know how it came about. Maybe Jordan remembers because I can't remember. But I don't remember. I wasn't around. I was then. like, I can pray in tongues. See, Kutala Shandala King Chair. Because we had like a king chair that my dad sat in. And so I was like, I can pray in tongues. And I felt like I was like a really good Christian then. And Oh, that's... so it, it can be like faked? <laughs> For a five year old? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like a 50 year old um, or 35 year old? <laughs> Is it like a fake it till you make it thing? Or. Well, I, I mean, I, I think I, some people would feel that way, the right. way that they've been led right. into, you know, well, that, well, just just say a couple syllables or, you know, so right. it, it can definitely feel that way. And I, I mean, at Bethel, when all the laughing was going on, I felt pressure to laugh. And yeah. so I just laughed, even though I wasn't, I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't really feel oh. joy welling up inside of me to where I couldn't contain it. Right. But I felt pressure and it wasn't a pressure that anybody was putting on me. Yeah. Other than it, being in a space where everybody else is doing that. Thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I remember coming home and there was like an outburst of laughter or whatever in church. And somebody was touching me, trying to get me to like laugh. They're like, come on, like feel the joy. I was like, I feel oh, joyful, sorry, but I don't. Me. Yeah. Yeah. That was totally, <laughs> you. that's, that's totally doubtful. your personality. Yeah. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> but I was like, I feel joyful. Like, I don't feel like 
whatever, you know, but I, I just don't feel that bubbling up inside of me and I'm not going to force it. Right. Um, and so and I, same thing with tongues. Like, you know, I only do it when I feel Holy Spirit. So I don't give in to peer pressure, and that's what it comes down to. I don't think we could ever accuse you of giving in yeah. to peer pressure. In fact, the more you want me to do it, the less I'm going to do it. Exactly, yeah. I, I definitely get that vibe from you, Jordan. you got to live, laugh, love a little. Right, yeah. exactly. We'll put it on our wall yeah. somewhere. So I, I did um, a little bit of research a year or two ago into like group psychology and group behavior, and... I don't know like what I've concluded about this or even if I have solid thoughts, but like it is a thing that when you're with a, a group of people that you behave in ways that you wouldn't as an individual. And it's not just true in the church. I mean, it happens in football games. I've only ever been to one football game, like in a stadium. It's like a Vikings preseason game, big deal. Mm. Right. But I remember like, a touchdown was about to happen and I'm on my feet and I'm shouting and cheering and I'm, I'm not that person. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I would like to see that actually, right, exactly. <laughs> but I got caught up in a moment and I think, I think you can see that lots of times in, in lots of different things. I mean, you have the people welcoming Jesus into the city with, with branches. And then a week later they're yelling crucify him right. or, yes. uh, or, you know, they want Barabbas. And right. so yes, like, there's yeah. this, this, uh, mob mentality. Yes. <laughs> I think we see it most prominently in politics. Yes. Now. <laughs> well, I mean, there's an argument to be made that like what happened on January 6th, a lot of people got caught up into something. I mean, some people were there with bad intentions. I think some people were there just to protest, yeah. but like the spirit of what was happening, I could see people, how people could get Drawn into in something, right? Yeah. Whatever you think about that, that's fine. But um, in a church context, I think it's good to just be aware that is an aspect. Like you could be caught up into, and I don't even know if it's bad because I t- I talk with someone about this before too. Like there is that is an aspect of how God's created us that we function in community. And sometimes something happens that's larger than the sum of its parts. So I'm not saying off the bat that it's all bad, but just it's good to be aware that um, our response to things could be influenced by what's happening around us. I think one of the important things to me in that is um, I want to know that I'm experiencing God in that same way when I'm alone with him. Yeah. So like, for example, it's very common for me to weep during worship, like especially certain types of songs that are proclaiming certain things about God. And it's, it's common that I'll weep in, in corporate worship together, you know, whatever. I would be really, really um, concerned if that never happened when I was just in my time with the Lord and the only place that ever happens is when I'm with this group of people, right. or um, if laughter, for example. Yeah. Like I'm, I am not a laugher by nature. Like I'm just not that fun, and I don't. <laughs> I I remember actually having to practice like w- laughing out loud, not not for church, <laughs> for other things. You know, like <laughs> like I, you know, but, and I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for that. Someone made fun of me once for the way my face looked when I laughed, and so I stopped opening my mouth when Stop I laughed laughing. or, you know, whatever. Yes. But I got ministry. I'm okay. There you go. But anyway, but, but for me, 
I would much rather be in my time alone with the Lord and have Him just bring overwhelming joy to me and have me laugh in that moment. And I think that that's something I believe about the next move of God is going to be very much in people's homes and yeah. in the secret place and in because there's a genuineness to that that maybe we feel like we're lacking in this corporate expression of yeah. charismatic mm. behavior but but I would always challenge anybody if the only place you experience that with God is when you're in the room with these other people is there is there a reason for that right. you know yeah. and and that we should be um, like the most outrageous manifestation should be happening when I'm in secret with the Lord, yeah. you know, and that this would become an overflow of that rather than the other way around. And I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying maybe it's time to mature into that, mm. you know. Yeah. yeah, and the most change happens in in the secret place, you know, right. and, and in the valleys. It's not the mountaintops, it's the valleys that where you're changed and you're transformed. Right. Um, encounters with God are great, but can you continue to walk that in, in the everyday? Right. In the mundane. Um, so I want to wrap this up, but one last question. How do we hold the tension of adhering to Scripture and listening to the Holy Spirit and not putting Him in a box? So I think for me, just in my background and growing up, I, I think this is kind of simple for me because I feel like I've always said the Bible is enough for me. You know, yeah. the Scriptures, what what is there is enough for me. And the Holy Spirit kind of revealing more to me is just kind of the gravy on top. You know, it's it's good, but I, and I need it. But all in all, if I, you know, if I don't hear from Holy Spirit for a while or feel like I'm in my head too much or whatever, I, I can lean on the Bible and the truths in there. And and for me, that's that's enough. But I can see how for people who have grown up with all the prophetic words and all the extra stuff can feel like, well, this is from three thousand years ago. You know, it's 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 not enough for me now. It's I I totally get that. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, the, what I'm trying to hold right now is that the two aren't intention as much as as much as like El Culto would try to say they are. Like at the end of the day, like when you boil them both down, Scripture and the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit is going to lead. It, and guide us into all truth. And so, like I said earlier, I, I just want the real thing. Like yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in this day and age, I don't, I don't want like extra stuff. I don't want to be wasting time just going through the motions. Like I just want what's real and whatever the cost is on that. I'm, I, I want to go through with that. I don't want to just live kind of like straddling what's convenient and what's not. And so yeah. um, I think that we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is faithful to, to guide us into truth and, and really like not pit theology yeah. and the, the study of God's word yeah. against the Holy Spirit. Right. If anything, like as I've become more, um, 
not academic, but just as I study and read more, like it hasn't limited my love and my emotion and what I feel towards God. It's just enlarged it even more. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Like Holy Spirit will never contradict scriptures that he, he wrote them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think as a community, I think building up that other riverbank and, putting an emphasis on scripture and biblical literacy and um, even church history, like knowing church history is so important for mm. where we are now. Yeah. Um, I think we can continue to look at scripture and continue to listen to Holy Spirit just fine. I, and we just need to b- build up our biblical literacy and um, help disciple new believers in that. And um not just say, oh, they got an encounter with God, they're good, you know, but yeah. but build on that foundation. I appreciate what you said about just looking back at church history and just realizing we're not it. Like, I think sometimes right. we think like, man, our generation is the one, but like we come from a rich tradition yeah. of just people faithfully following God. And when we try to just leave that behind or think, oh, those people in the past. I think C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery, like those those simple people. But like, man, they're our family. If they're they're in Christ, those are our brothers and sisters too. And like we're just standing on their shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And there's really nothing new under the sun. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's it's all repeating and they have had revivals in a different way than we have had revivals. And... um, we can look back on that and and see how they reacted, either good or bad, and have the Holy Spirit speak to us about what we can do now. Right. Yeah. I, I those are awesome thoughts. I don't know what I can add to that other than to really, when you're talking about the tension of adhering to Scripture, it's to me that means we have to choose to value both. Yeah. And so one of the ways that we can move forward is to just be aware of where we have waited one aspect more heavily than the other and keep that tension by giving value to both of them, not because they're uh, at odds with one another, but because they're both equally necessary. And so Mm -hmm. I think some of the awareness of realizing that a generation that grew up in the charismatic movement may not have yet had the access to that rich biblical foundation, not because the preaching wasn't biblical, because it was, but because the training was in how to move in signs, wonders, miracles, right. how to hear yeah. from God. That's where the training was. Mm-hmm. And so now can we just supplement that, not replace, but supplement that with we also need to be trained in how to really read scripture for ourselves. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, recognizing that I had a time when I just really began to hunger to know how to study the word and to really look at it. But there was this fear in me that said, everything that's been revealed to me by the spirit, every, every experience I've had from the time of five years old till now, where things have been revealed to me about the nature of God, the character of God, the way we should live, it was revealed to me more by the spirit than by my ser- searching it out in the word. And there was a fear that all of that would be challenged, eliminated, told wrong, you know, that I was wrong in believing that if I really studied the word. So I went into this two-year program of studying the Bible and learning how to study the Bible and was delighted to find that actually 
not only is it as good as I thought, or is God as good as I thought, but he's like better than I thought. He's more than these experiences that I've had. He's more than, you know, and so it didn't disprove any of that. It just actually brought a richness to it. Mm. And so I think, I think that's really what God wants to do in this next season is really marry the spirit in the word, not just in the charismatic church, but across the denominations, which will also lead to a greater unity in the body of Christ. Yep. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thinking Well. We hope that this will lead to fruitful conversations in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with the latest and to join in the conversation surrounding faith and culture, follow us on Instagram at Thinking Well Podcast. Thinking Well is a production of Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information about Living Waters, visit livingwatersmn.org. 